Welcome to Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person. This Bible teaching was given in the tabernacle in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit OceanGrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. This message was given by Pastor Raphael Giglio from the North Shore Fellowship Church on July the 19th, 2021. You can listen to and watch this and other messages at oceangrove.org watch. You can hear Pastor Raphael again this year, 2022, in the Bible Hour from August 8th through the 13th. You can join us live or you can listen online live or later on at oceangrove.org watch. Pastor Raphael is also teaching Bible studies on Tuesday nights in July, and then he will also be leading a service on Saturday nights in August. Please join us for this and other wonderful messages at oceangrove.org watch or by joining this podcast. And please tell others about the podcast. And now the introduction and the message. Such a pleasure to have Pastor Raphael Giglio with us this morning. Um, if you've been in Ocean Grove at all, you know Pastor Raphael and his wife Allie um, and Tasha and the rest of the worship team. They are, are here a lot. And uh, he's been blessed now uh, to be the lead pastor of North Shore Fellowship, a Monmouth County church with two locations. Yes, that's worthy of applause. Um, he graduated from Pillar College with a degree in organizational leadership and has studied religion and humanities at both Rutgers and Harvard universities. He has pastored churches in Franklin, Tennessee and Zarephath, New Jersey, and is now an ordained reverend with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. At 10 years old, Raphael was introduced to faith in Jesus as Messiah by his Jewish grandfather. He has since had a passion to study and teach the Hebrew roots of Christianity and has led many trips to Israel. Raphael's teaching ministry, Shareable Truth, can be heard regularly on the bridge radio. He and his wife, Allie, live in Atlantic Highlands with their twin daughters, Phoebe and Abigail. Please help me warm Ocean Grove welcome to Pastor Raphael Giglio. Thanks, Sandy. Well, it's great to be here in Ocean Grove. Uh, so good to see you all. And thank you, worship team. It's so great to have our North Shore worship team with us. And thank you for Bill AC, our assistant pastor, for presenting this board to us, which I'm going to explain later. So, so here, here's what we're going to do for Bible Hour this week. We're going to take six days to go 4,000 years. Anybody up for the journey? All right. So it's a quick journey, so fasten your seatbelts. I've done this teaching a few times, and last time I did it was a, a three-month journey. It was actually 12 weeks, and it was 1,500 years farther. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the creation of the earth and mankind and hit every major story and character along the way and try to find out what God has for us today with a thousand-foot view of their life. Now, it's called the story of God and his people, the story of God and his people. Um, and you'll see this board fill out as I take my whiteboard marker. I will 
talk about Adam and Eve, and we'll talk about the flood. I'll even make a picture of an ark and the Tower of Babel and so forth and so on. We'll go all the way to the birth of Jesus. So basically, it's a journey from Genesis to Jesus. Genesis to Jesus. But here's what we want to make sure we don't do. This is not a Old Testament survey, per se. It's not necessarily even a walk through the Bible. It's the story of God and his people. The story, the love story of a heavenly father who created mankind as his children, made in his image, and his people through these generations, through these experiences. And we'll take a good look at sin and what happened as a result of sin and what's been done to reconcile us with the Father. Now, just for matter of practicality, um, those of you that are Bible studiers, history majors, or whatever it might be, we're going to be using what we call the Bible literalist view of dates. None of these dates, particularly in early Genesis, are definite. So we're just for consistency and approximation, most of the dates I give you, you can argue with me afterward about why I picked 2,500 instead of 2,700 for things like Babel or something like that. But that's not the point. Remember the point is to understand the father heart of God and what he has for us and his people. So let me just explain a little bit before we get to the board. It's a faith journey, not an intellectual pursuit. All right, so in my life, when, the reason I wanted you to hear about my Jewish grandfather was that was the biggest impartation of faith that I'd ever received. When he, Saul Tomberg, at a late age, Jew all his life, in fact, in his time period, he would have been considered an Orthodox Jew because of the, the level of adherence that he was to the Torah. Um, wouldn't be considered an Orthodox Jew now, a conservative. Late in life, he found that startling revelation that Jesus is his Messiah. And he was so excited, yeah, he was so excited, he drove his old Chrysler up from Florida, and he had, he's, he had these um, magnets made for the side of his Chrysler, big ones. They normally are made, they say things like Joe's refrigeration or something. His said, Jesus is my Messiah. He was so excited, he drove to New Jersey, and he told each one of us kids, now bear in mind, I'm one of 12 children. My parents had 12, six sons, six daughters, and he told us, <clears throat> this is so important, kids, you've got to listen to me. Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> and I believed. And at that point, I believed that the Holy Spirit started to teach me at a young age the truths of the Bible as I studied for the last, you know, I'm 27 now, for the last 17 years, not 27, I'm <laughs> much older. <clears throat> And so, yeah, I studied, I went to college, I studied a little at Harvard, I studied religion at, at, uh, at Rutgers. I, but really, the, the impartation that comes is when the Holy Spirit, through his rhema word, teaches you. And my hope is that that takes place during the course. Theology, in and of itself, is not necessarily an absolute science. Now, mathematics or chemistry, things like that are an absolute science. They always have the same result, right? But theology, we've been given the same scripture for the last 2,000 years, and very great and capable minds have been studying them didactically for 2,000 years, and the end result of us studying them is very different conclusions. And why is that? Because this is the living word, and it's not an intellectual pursuit as much as it's a heart pursuit. Remember what Proverbs 3, 5 says is, is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And someone corrected me one time when I said theology is not an absolute science and can't be completely fully understood. She said, oh yes it can. 
when we get to heaven. <laughs> and she was right. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's what Isaiah says. Paul himself, who, let's face it, was the greatest mind in Christianity, an elevated, very educated Pharisee, expert of the law, studied under Gamaliel. He said in 1 Corinthians 13 about his understanding is that now, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see things impersonal, imperfectly, in this version says, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see things complete and perfect. What we, now, what we know now is incomplete. What we know then is complete. What we now is in part, what we know then will be in full. So yes, there will be a time when we completely understand. And the reason I'm saying that is you want to argue and debate theology and scripture. We can do that. But bear in mind, we have a very finite spectrum by which we can do that. Romans 11 says this. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths and the, of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, how unfathomable are they past finding out. But let's try. Let's take a good look at the word and let's see the story of God and his people. Now, remember what I said. Above all things, when Father created the earth, he is our creator, but he is our father. And I wanna, I'll be reminding us of that over the next six days, that above everything else, he is at his core a father, a father who wants a relationship with his children, a relationship based on love. How many fathers do we have? How many mothers do we have? You understand the love that we have for children, and especially when you create them. I remember when we uh, had our children. Here in Ocean Grove, Allie and I, we wanted kids. We, we longed for kids. We weren't sure if we could have kids. And we longed to have children. And then one day, it was announced to us by our doctor that we're pregnant. Allie was pregnant. I was just gaining marital weight. <laughs> the greatest news we had ever heard. And not only that, because we're a little late in the game, it's twins. <laughs> Amazing. And so we prayed and we did everything we had to do and living up there in Ocean Grove, uh, top floor of Dr. Wilden's apartment, third floor walk up, 32 strips, two, 32 steps straight up. Um, and we finally the day came and they arrived and we brought them home, we carried them up the 32 steps <laughs> and we set them in their little, little, uh, their little cribs and we just looked at them. And I wanna tell you, gushing love, love I've never experienced before, love that was not even reciprocated. All they did was cry and poop, but I just would do anything, anything for these little crying beings, and they looked like Allie and I, and they were made in our image. I couldn't believe the flush, the fire hose of love that was coming out of me. Now, up until that point, I was mostly a selfish guy. You know, I loved you if you loved me. You know, I loved things I like, but this is, I would do anything for these beings, and then I got it. We were part of creating these beings, and we had uh, an unfathomable love for these beings. Where did we get that? Where did we get that? We got it because we're made in his image. He's our father, and that's the reason he created the world. Let's not forget that. He created the world, and, and he created mankind in his image. Now, we'll, we'll talk about sin and separation. 
And as we grew, and I would come home from work, I was working up at Zarephath, and I would drive an hour back from work. As they grew, and the kids would be toddling around, and they would wait for me at the top of the stairs. So I was walking up those 32 stairs. They would just wait. They couldn't wait to see me. And it was, you know, just a wonderful hallmark moment every day, most days. And there was something about that early childhood experience that I'll never forget. Now, of course, they're going to grow, and of course, they're going to individuate. It's not really like that now. <laughs> but there's something about the Garden of Eden that we're going to talk about that captured God's heart and was separated and breached. And there was attempts at trying to recapture that. Sin, sacrifice, tabernacle, temple. And you'll know, you all know the end of the story because it was reconciled. It was recaptured by Jesus. So I just told you the end. <laughs> but this is why he created the earth. This is why he created mankind. Above all other things, God is our Father. I will repeat that multiple times every day that he is our Father. In fact, Jesus, who knew God best, one with the Father, he taught us to pray. And when he taught us to pray, he started the prayer with two words. Now, Bear in mind, we as Jews, we usually start most of our prayers with a, with a preamble of words. Most of our Jewish prayers start with Baruch Hatah Adonai Elohim Melech Alam, which is blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, first, 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 big God. But Jesus said, Jesus who knew God the, best, the, the most, he said, when you pray, start this way. Aveno Mishikino. Aveno Mishikino. Our Father who art in heaven, Avenu, our Father. He had a secret. He knew God's heart for us, and he wanted us to share in that, and, he, and we did. Isaiah says, yet you, O Lord, are our Father. Isaiah 64a, we are all formed by your hand. John 1.14, you remember what John says when he opens up his gospel? He doesn't start with Bethlehem. He doesn't start with angels. Good news, good tidings of great joy. He doesn't start with Joseph and Mary. He just said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace. And 1 John 3, 1, he says this in his first epistle. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. So, you get it? We know why it's written. Okay, so let's talk about creation a little bit. Now, um, we start out with all versions of the Bible. I, I'll probably use NLT and ESV, maybe New King James throughout this series, but versions, the popular versions of the Bible, um, whether it's the NLT, the NIV, ESV, NASB, you name it, KJV, they all start with the same sentence, pretty much with the same verbiage, and that is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all of them. In Hebrew, it's bereshit, in the beginning, in the beginning. And what's interesting is that our account, and we'll read, we'll read Genesis 1, our account of the creation story, or creation, um, is different than some of the other popular accounts of its day, like the Enuma Elish from the Babylonians and others, because we start with a God who pre-existed and then created the world. And out of nothing, you know the, the Greek there is the ex nihilo, which means out of absolutely nothing, he created it. So we're going to go to, if you have your Bibles, let's go right to Genesis 1 and talk about how this transpired. Genesis 1, verse 1. 
Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God, God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the, dark, the, the light day, and the darkness he called night. Day in Hebrew is yom, night is lila. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water from the vault of the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and morning of the first day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was tov. Can you say tov? Good. Good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the, other, on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. Then the land produced vegetations, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was very good, very tov, tov, tov. <laughs> and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was so good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the, cre the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was tov. Yeah. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water and the seeds, and let the, earth, let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Okay, here's the good stuff. Not that that wasn't tov, but this gets tov tov. Very good. And God said, let the lamb produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And so it was so. And God made the wild animals according to the, their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and the creatures that slither along the ground according to their kinds. And God looked at all these animals that he made and creatures, and he said, it is... Woo. And then in verse 26... God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Amago Dei. In his image, it looks like him. It's something about that's the nature of God that was imparted into these beings that wasn't imparted in the animals. Imago Dei. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the, every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and move along the ground. And everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he made and saw that it was very, very good. Not just good, very good. And then there was evening morning on the sixth day. Amazing. Amazing this account of creation. Now as we see this, we have to remember, we just saw the whole, not just the creation of the earth, but the planets and every living thing and the separation of sky and land. So we have to look at this and say, wow, what was Moses thinking? What was he seeing? What was God imparting to him as he's trouncing around the wilderness for these 40 years and be receiving this impartation from the Lord about the mechanical design of a universe? And so we look as, and we get as much as we can out of this, but we have to remember that what we see here, especially you know, as we get into debates about creation, which we won't do here, we'll, we'll mention things, but this is not the mechanical drawings of the universe. This is a um, depiction of God creating all things. The reason I say that is the Bible is capable of giving very detailed and specific architectural plans, mechanical drawings. All you engineers know that even a building like this probably has pages and pages and pages of architectural drawing from every beam to window to pipe to wire. We're not getting that for planet Earth. We do get it for things like, well, like the tabernacle, which comes later in Exodus 25. In fact, there's 13 chapters devoted to just the details of building the tabernacle. Solomon's temple, the temple, we get four full chapters of detail about every size, a cubit of every stretch of, of board and, and, and golden ornament or whatever it might be. But the world, we get one and a half, maybe two chapters of everything in the world. So we take this and we learn what we can from it. But we have to remember, because when I start this, this um, teaching, and I've done this before, uh, sometimes we get hung up on new earth, old earth, the depictions of what is being said in the early part of creation, which we won't do today, but I will say this. Let's not get divisive about it. Let's just agree on the most important thing that God created the heaven and the earth, right? Bereshit, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We saw how it was presented to us in early Genesis, and we believe by faith. Now, um, let's look at some of this. Well, let me talk a little bit more. <laughs> we'll get to the boards, I promise. We have plenty of boards. When I did this, the last time I did this, we actually went up to uh, Martin Luther. We went up to 1,500. So there was a lot more boards. So we'll be able to get through this in six days, and I think we're going to enjoy it. But it's important, so important, that we believe that God created the heaven and the earth. Why? Because the Bible's truth claims are predicated upon that, upon God as our creator. You can't believe the stuff that's in the Bible unless you believe that God created the heavens and the earth. You can't say, well, I don't believe he's our creator, but there's a few things I do like about this book. No, no, everything is predicated on that. In fact, <laughs> Proverbs 3, 
19 says, by his wisdom, God created the heavens and the earth. Romans 4, 17, God calls all things to existence. Acts 4, 24, God is the absolute creator of everything. Matthew 10, 6 says, God made them male and female. This is Jesus speaking, and it was the beginning of creation. And Paul says in Colossians 1, 16, for in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things have been created through him and for him. You have to believe that or else everything else doesn't make sense. In fact, the earliest name for God, which was not spoken in the early Hebrew, was in Hebrew letters Y-H-W-H. Do you know that word? Yahweh. Do you know what it means? Yahweh means creator of all things that are created. So, he is our creator. Well, let me see what we're going to do, because right? I want to be able to, we're running out of time. I want to be able to get to the boards, okay? So let's just talk about what we have so far. And uh, we'll um, pick up that conversation. Okay, once again, this is not a walk through the Bible. This is the story of God and his people. And so we start out in the very beginning, before there was anything, we say it's ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, out of nothing, Bereshit, in the beginning, you don't have to memorize these, I'm just giving this some context, God created the heavens and the earth. So this is it, the beginning of time is a big creation. Now we'll, just so you know, when you come, if you come tomorrow, you'll see much bigger drawings of how God created the heaven and the earth because we have an artistic team that's going to make our drawings look better. They'll probably do a better Tower of Babel than I will. They'll do a better Noah's Ark than I will. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and part of that was Adam and his long-haired wife, Eve. And they don't have any clothes on, so... That's Adam and Eve, and he created mankind. And so it begins. God looked at this, and he said, it is beautiful. It is finished. Um, but before this, let's look at what he created on the days, right? Do you remember what he said? Uh, on the first day was light. So day one was light. Adam and Eve, we'll get down to him. On the second day, does anybody remember what was created? Atmosphere, right? Firmament, atmosphere. On the third day, anybody remember? We got dry land, right? Plants started to grow. On the fourth day, anybody? Interesting one. Sun, stars, okay, we'll talk about that in a second. All right, fifth day, does anybody remember? Birds and animals, right? Birds and animals, uh, birds and sea creatures, not animals yet. Birds and fish, we'll say. And how about the sixth day? Yeah, that's animals, animals and plants, likely mammals. I can't spell mammals and say animals at the same time, but men and women. All right, there we go. And so it was complete. Now, what's interesting here is when we get into these debates about old earth and, and new earth, and I know the, the arguments, and some, you know, some believe that there's a gap theory between verses one and three in, in um, Genesis, an undetermined amount of time. Um, and some believe that why, if God can do all things, Jesus says in God all things are possible, he could take 20, six 24-hour periods 
and create everything with its antiquity. And that's, you know, that's the faith journey. Um, and so it, it begs a lot of questions. We're not going to debate science today, but here's my thought. When I read this account, there's something about this fourth day that stands out to me. I don't fully understand it, but I know that it's a little different than the other days. And when we read about what happened on the fourth day, we see that God did something that was different than had been before. Now, there was already light, right? He'd already created light. Uh, but here's what it says. It says, God set them, I'm sorry, let's go back to, to verse 16 of chapter 1. God made two great lights, the great, greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made stars. God set them in the vault over the light to govern the night. He also uh, set the sky to love, give light to the earth and to govern the day and, to not, and the night. In verse 14, it says, to mark sacred times, days, and years. So could it be that what we call chronology, maybe, or horology, H-O-R-O-L-L-O-G-Y, that means the study of time, or chronology, the measurement of time, could it be that that's what was created on the fourth day? Could it be that prior to that, we were not measuring time the same way we were when everything was in rotation and revolution? I don't know. That's more of a question. Um, but let's move on from there because we'll get there, we'll stick there, and we won't get any further. So he created all this. And you know the story that he created them. And he said, have fun. It's created for your pleasure. Enjoy. And you could do anything. You're free to do anything. The only thing you can't do is eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the, in the middle of the garden. But other than that, have at it. And so I believe at that point in time was probably the greatest point in time in the history of the, of, uh, of the universe until Jesus came. Because what, it's what we call the Eden state. Everything was as it should be. Everything was perfect. But then something happens. Sin enters the world. And it enters through a serpent. And Genesis 2.15 says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and says, work and uh, take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. You will eat of it, you'll surely die. Genesis 3 starts it this way. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. <laughs> the serpent said, No. You will not certainly die, said the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they, showed, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this seems like a common occurrence that the man and his wife would expect that in the sweet part of the day, the cool of the day, that God would be there. And why would he be there? Because this is the essence of God's nature. He wants to fellowship with his creation. And I believe at this point, up until they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, they had true and pure, unconstricted fellowship with God the Father. Remember when I said I'd go up to the stairs and my little daughters would be waiting for me? <laughs> you know, a little gate so they don't tumble down the 32 steps, of course. There was, it, they were enamored with me. They were riveted on me. They, didn't, they weren't distracted. They didn't have a phone yet, first of all, right? <laughs> and there was something about that. Wow. I wish, you would last, I wish it would last forever. Now, I love my children. I love every phase of their life, including now that they just turned 14 on Tuesday. But there was something about that moment that captured my heart, and I, was, I obviously had captured theirs. That is what I'm talking about. But something happened in the garden that, that changed that, that affected that. They reached beyond God. They reached beyond their trust. They listened to the voice of the servant, the serpent, servant, the serpent who contradicted the voice of God. God said, you'll die. The serpent said, no, you won't. And they ate of the fruit. Now listen, was it an apple? Was it a pomegranate? Was it a fruit? Whatever it is, it's depicted as them breaching their trust with their heavenly father and entering into a, a separation from God that they had not known before and that mankind has been bearing the consequences ever since. And so God's walking in the cool of the day up those 32 flights of stairs to hold these two loved ones in his arms. That's my paraphrase. And what happened? Instead of them with open arms, wide open arms, eyes wide open, bright smiles on their face to experience this creation of love and relationship that they were created for. Instead of that, they did something else. Verse 8 says, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's different. They hid from the Lord. Why? They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to them and said, where are you? Where are you? God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. Why would he ask that? Is that just a rhetorical question? Was he just teasing them? Is it like when you're playing hide-and-seek and you really know there's somebody in the closet and it's like, where are you? <laughs> no, no, no. Where are you? He says to their hearts. We had this love, this relationship we were enjoying, and you're not there anymore. Friends, sometimes God says that to us. When we experience the guilt and shame of our sin. And 
when we go to worship and experience his presence or, or, or prayer to communicate to our Father, our hearts are hidden from him. And he says, where are you? But he continues to pursue. He continues to pursue us. But the Lord called, where are you? You see, God created us for a love relationship with him. And he created the heavens and the earth to facilitate this relationship. And it was very good. But the first thing that was not good was when sin enters the world and becomes a barrier between God and the rest of history. Sin. And so we, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we experience this side of the sin separation, which again, we're going to get there. Something will be done about it, I promise you. But we're, we're going to see in the story of God and his people how God continues to pursue his people, even though there's this sin separation. And sometimes they're obedient, sometimes there's, they're not. Sometimes there's methods that seem successful, sometimes not. And we'll not hit every occurrence of it, but we'll hit the major ones. Sin, separating us. You see, I believe this, is that, that, God, that sin is not arbitrary. We, sometimes we talk about sins as if they're acts of behavior. Like, well, you know what, I'm, I'm always acting out in anger. That's a sin. Or I'm a kleptomaniac. I can't help it. I just go around and I steal things. You know, that's a sin. <laughs> Those are acts. Sin is really things that breach a relationship, either with God or another. I believe that God is not arbitrary when it comes to sin. He doesn't look at all the things that we could possibly do as humans and say, well, that one's a sin, that one's not. You know, stealing, well, that's a sin. And what about swimming? Mm, no, that's not a sin. Or how about, you know, I don't know, committing adultery, definitely a sin. Or how about bowling? Yeah, that's also a sin. No, no, let's put that over here. That's not a sin. He didn't do that. What he, I believe it is, is that things that will interfere with our relationship with him or others are sin because of the detrimental effect they have on a relationship with him or a relationship with each other. Think about it. Every sin that you can probably think of will either affect a relationship with another person or with God. And the reason it does that is why it's a sin. Because the reason that we're created is because we bear the mark of our creator who wants to have a relationship with us and wants us to have relationships with each other that's built on love. And love is the opposite of sin. Now keep this in mind. When Jesus was asked, as you know in Matthew 32, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he could have said adultery. He could have said murder. He could have said not keeping the Sabbath. But he said this. He said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all you got. And the second one is like it, to love each other. Because on, all these, on these two things rest all of the law, which we'll talk about, which is the Torah, and the prophets, which we'll talk about, which is the Nuvi'im. All of that is predicated on loving God and loving each other. Why? Because that's the very reason that we're created. Love for God and love for each other. 
All right, so here we go. So here's what happens. We have Adam and Eve. They're separated by God through sin. Their offspring also bears the consequences of sin. They have two boys, Cain and Abel. You know the story. Cain gets mad at Abel, kills him, murders him. He's cast out to go live in the city of Nod. And, but they do procreate, and they do have a lineage that leads us to the rest of the story. And so they have children, and I'll list them if you want. <laughs> they have um, a son named Seth. There you go. And then they have another one named Enosh. Oh, he has a son named Enosh. And he has a son named Kenan. Now, bear in mind, I'm simplifying this. And I could talk about some of these guys, like um, his son, Mahaliel, which I think is the, is the one who is the second oldest in the Bible. Something like that. Oh, no, Jared, I think. The next guy was older. Jared. And he only ate from Subway, and he lived to be 962 years old. <laughs> and here's this guy, Enoch, who the Bible says walked with God and was not. <laughs> uh, now, bear in mind, these, this guy particularly, well, these two, they, this is where it was first, as we see in uh, Genesis 4, these were, this is where they first called upon the name of the Lord. So they called upon the name of the Lord. There's something good about these guys. There's, there's goodness in these guys. Uh, Enoch walked with God. That's what was said of him. And God took him. Um, so there you go. Then we have Methuselah. What's he famous for? All right, Methuselah. And he, how old do you remember? 969. How about that? All right. Uh, and so he lived a long life. And then we get to, to someone named Lamech. Do you remember what he is famous for? Noah's dad. This is Noah's dad. And something he said in Genesis 5.29 is that Noah, my son, he'll be the one to reverse the curse. He'll be the one to reverse the curse of the ground. And so it was that around that time, Noah was born. Noah. What do you think, Tasha? Does that look like, does this look like Noah? Maybe he wears a robe. You know, um, he's probably got a big mallet in his hand, right? I better stop. All right. He looks like Casper, the friendly ghost with a beard. <laughs> but Noah was born. And what's very sad is that at this time of the history of the world, I think things had gotten so bad that God said something that in Genesis 6 that really seems almost surprising. He said that, that, well, let's read it in Genesis 6. It says that every intention of the thought of every person in the whole world was evil. Everything was evil. And he looked at this creation. Now, bear in mind, there were some bright spots. But the Lord saw the wickedness, this is in verse 5, was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, that's bad. Everything's only evil. And the Lord says in verse 6 that he was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. Wow, so sad. His father created everything. 
created people. It's all in motion. And he saw that every intention of every person's heart was evil all the time. And he said, you know what? I regret that I even made man. And he did the unthinkable. He decided to send a flood and destroy the earth. A flood. Now here's the thing. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So he had a salvation plan. I know with kids we... We um, love the story of Noah and the ark, right? A lot of our coloring books and our little toys are Noah with the little animals going two by two into the ark. But it's the saddest story in the entire Bible. So we're going to pick it up tomorrow with what happens with the ark. I'm not going to tell you now. It's a surprise. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story of God, that you love us with an everlasting love, and you are our everlasting Father. And I pray, God, that as we look at this story, we don't just review a bunch of Old Testament facts, but we review the love story, this love story that was breached, but the love story that was reconciled. Put your hand of grace upon each one of us and give us a deeper understanding of your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. For more information about attending Bible study, worship, or additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, and for social media links, go to oceangrove.org.